It's a Saturday morning at CCO Land Time once again for a wine chat with our friend Jack Farrell from Haskell's. Good morning, Jack. Hi there, Denny. How are you this snowy morning? I am doing quite well. I have a feeling I'm going to have to get out and clear that driveway, though. I kind of put it off yesterday, <laughs> so. Uh, but that, but that's okay because I'll clear it out and head to my. I have a feeling I'm going to have to get out and clear that driveway, though. I kind of put it off yesterday, <laughs> so. Uh, but that, but that's okay because I'll clear it out and head to my nearest Haskell's. That's what I plan. Good. On today. Well, today I decided I'd take a look and answer the most common questions that came up last year uh, about wine, because apparently a lot of these are reoccurring, so I guess it doesn't hurt to go over them again. I always get asked, whatever, what's my favorite wine? Whatever's in my glass, I tell people. But I guess I'm a Burgundian. I prefer Pinot Noir from Burgundy and Chardonnay from uh, Burgundy. Although there are fabulous wines from all over the world, and uh, to stick to one area, you're limiting yourself terribly. You know, uh, it, there's just such a wonderful feast of wines out there. You know, so many countries have come into the fold, including China, which now is producing wine. And, you know, the, to confine yourself to one particular wine all the time it, is really, it, it disenables, if you will, you to really explore the world of wine. That, that's part of the fun of wine is all the different wines from around the world and how different a wine can be. For example, coming from California, from France, from Italy, Chile, Argentina, maybe Australia. Uh, and that same grape type is grown in all those places, and you taste the wine, and it's totally different. Because the soil plays such a big role in uh, the development of the wine. You know, the vineyards now say they're nothing more than the guardians of the terroir, the soil. And... They let the grape vine speak for itself when they make their wine. And that's what makes it so interesting. So, yes, indeed, uh, I may be a Burgundian at heart, but I never miss a chance to try all the other wines of the world because there's just too many to be exclusive to one type or one area of wine. You limit yourself and you limit your scope of information and pleasure. Uh, I put ice in wine. Should I be embarrassed? Absolutely not. You're the one that's drinking the wine. If you want a little ice in your wine, go right ahead. And All it does is dilute the wine. And, you know, in many, many European countries, they still give children, at about starting at about the age 10 or so, a little wine at the table and dilute it with water, maybe one part wine and four parts water, uh, to get them used to having wine with every meal. It's not as common as it, as it used to be, uh, because when I started out in this business, virtually everybody in the wine business did that with their children. More and more of them today are not uh, doing that, letting the children, when they get to a certain age, uh, explore wine for themselves. So there's nothing wrong with putting ice in your wine. Just be very confident about that. Are rosé wines just for summer? Absolutely not. Rosé wines are a joy, and I'm sure a lot of people discovered that, particularly this New Year's Eve, where rosé champagne was the most popular item uh, in the champagne aisles. And champagne, a rosé champagne is just a champagne. You know, Pinot Noir is the primary grape of champagne. 
They use Pinot Blanc. In fact, when you get a, a champagne that's a Blanc de Blanc, white from white, it's a champagne made entirely from Chardonnay. So they use Chardonnay. They use Pinot, uh, Pinot Noir, and Mugnaret is another grape type that they use. But the rosé champagnes have a little bit more flavor than regular champagne, and I think that's why they're becoming so popular, as are rosé sparkling wines, wherever they come from, whether it's a cava from Spain or a spumante from Italy, they all make a pink or a rosé sparkling wine. And so rosés are really a great, in my opinion, aperitif, not just the rosé champagne, but a glass of rosé wine makes a very nice aperitif before dinner. And so, indeed, they are absolutely not just for summer. You're missing a big treat if you don't use them year-round, in my opinion. How do wines get their names? <laughs> well, that's a complex question. Everyone is different. But generally, these are the three areas. Geography, in other words, there is a place in the world called Chianti. There is a place in the world called Champagne. There is a place in the world called Prosecco. Those geographic names are... Uh, indigenous to a lot of different wines, you know, even more specifically like Sonoma Cabernet versus Napa Cabernet. Uh, so the ge geography is kind of important in naming wine. The other is varietal, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Chardonnay. Those are all the names of various grape types. So that's number two. And number three, now here's where uh, you get to use your imagination, are fantasy names for wine. Leaf brow milk. That means virgin mother's milk, Well, which is sort of impossible to have a virgin uh, mother and milk. But anyway, the name came from a church right uh, outside of Heidelberg, and uh, it was the vineyard owner there made the best uh, leaf problem, uh, best wine in the area, and they said to him, how do you do that? And he says, it's the milk of the virgin, because right in the vineyards, in the center of the vineyards, was a shrine dedicated to the Virgin Mary, and that's thus the name leaf problem milk. Another wine from France, along those religious lines, is called Enfant Jesus, and the reason for that is they say that this wine tastes like Jesus in velvet pants. Now, I don't know what that is, but that's how they got the name Enfant Jesus. Another Italian wine is called Est, Est, Est. It seems there was a German bishop who sent a servant ahead. He was called to Rome, and he was to mark Est, which is here, uh, on the good inns and the good wine. And he got to the town of Est, 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 and he wrote Est, Est, Est. And uh, it, it was, wine was so good, he wrote, got three S. So that's that fantasy name. But there's lots of other fantasy names people name. Uh, you know, the, the Widow's Walk and things like that uh, are different fantasy names for wine. What's the best temperature to serve wine at? Well, that's pretty simple. For red wines, I'd say between 68 and 72 degrees is what you should really is ideal for red wines. For white wines, between 45 and and 55 is good for that. Uh, if you're going to chill a wine in the refrigerator, put it in lying down or standing up however you want for about 20 minutes. And the same thing is true of a, uh, uh, a red wine. 
You can put it in the refrigerator for about 10 or 15 minutes, then take it out for about 10 minutes before you serve it, and it comes up to room temperature. When they say room temperature, they don't mean 80 degrees. They mean the temperature that it rises to when it's brought up from a cellar generally, and cellar are the temperature of earth, which is 55 degrees, and that's been determined the best temperature of all, (coughs) excuse me, to serve wine at. So those two temperatures are the ones uh, that I would strive for, and I think they're the optimum ones to drink wine at. What's the difference between Pinot Grigio and Pinot Gris? Absolutely nothing. They're the same grape. Pinot Gris is... Uh, used in the United States more often. Pinot Grigio is used in Europe. Uh, And the wine is exactly the same. Of course, as I said earlier about the differences in wine, they're vastly different because they're grown in different areas. But the grape type for Pinot Grigio and Pinot Gris is exactly the same. Uh, I have a friend that loves Pinot Grigio. Why? Well, who knows why people like things? I, I can't answer that. But I can tell you that Pinot Grigio is lighter, has the highest city, it's a very crisp wine. It's a very, very good wine to have as an aperitif. Pinot Gris, on the other hand, grows primarily in our northern part of California and northern states, Washington and Oregon. It's more full-bodied, spicier, and heavier in the mouth than Pinot Grigio, in my opinion. And uh, someone said, I like X wine. What do I think? What difference does it make what I think? It's whether you like it or not. Some people put mustard on their hot dogs. Some put ketchup. Never the twain shall meet. And the same thing is true with wine. If you like it, you just go ahead and drink it because you're the only one you have to satisfy when you're drinking wine. Another one asked me, and this I get all the time. I was to Europe and drank a lot of wine and never got a headache. Why? The wine's different. No, the wine is exactly the same. That bottle of wine <coughs> that you can buy from me at Haskell's and at the vineyard is exactly the same. Now, of course, wines get travel-weary just like people, and we usually, when we get our wines in, let them come to rest for about uh, 30 days, and then they're just fine. So you avoid that travel fatigue that wine really gets. That isn't a myth. But anyhow, there is nothing different in the wines you had in Europe than you have those same wines at home. I always remind people of my story that if you're in France and you're on the Champs-Élysées and you're having an omelet with someone you love or think you love at the moment, and the omelet is made as only the French can, light and delicate, and it's a beautiful day. And you're having a wine, and it is absolutely marvelous. I submit that that wonderful wine that was so marvelous with your significant other and the fluorescent harshness of your kitchen with her and her, or the other party in a bad mood, it's going to taste totally different than that wine you had on the Champs-Élysées. But they're the same wine. Believe me, the exact same wine. Sulfites. Everybody gets concerned about sulfites. Is there? There's very few wines in the world that don't have some sulfur in the process when they make the wines. So, but the best way to get rid of them is have someone who's not allergic decant the wine several times. In other words, pour it back and forth out of the bottle into a carafe, or then from a carafe to a carafe. If you do that three or four times, that dissipates. All of the sulfites. 
So you can have a sulfite-free wine simply by decanting it. Uh, does decanting do any good? Yes, uh, decanting does wonderful good things. I don't uh, recommend decanting every bottle you have, but all a decanting does is aerate the wine, and all wine, if it's pretty good wine, benefits from aeration. Uh, do I know, is there a good Pinot Noir from California? And I don't know, it's interesting me, so many people are inquiring about that, uh, yeah, there is. There's one I like. It's called Fog Mountain, and it's very modestly priced, it's under $15. And it's a very good California Pinot Noir uh, and goes with so many, many different things. What do you look for in wine? You look for five things in wine. Color, aroma, bouquet, taste, and aftertaste. And how does that set up? Well, the color is not cloudy, then it's fine, as long as it's clear, whether it's red or white. Aroma, does it smell like wine? Is that, that's fine. Bouquet's a little more complicated. That is, if it's Cabernet Sauvignon, does it taste and smell like Cabernet Sauvignon? Then the taste. And the lastly is the aftertaste. And that's the taste that's left in your mouth after you swallow the wine. If all of those are in balance, whether you give a wine 20 points, 100 points, or 50 points, or whatever, however graded, those are the five things that are great. You'll notice that two of them have to do with the olfactory sense, the bouquet and the aroma. That's why you put wine in a bigger glass so you can get your nose into the wine a little bit and uh, not get it wet. By it, That's a big, big part of enjoying wine, aroma and bouquet. And uh, I, I hope I filled the afternoon up or the morning up for a nice afternoon, maybe you want to try some wine on a day like today. It wouldn't be a bad idea. No, I think that's a great idea, as a matter of fact. Well, Jack, <laughs> tell those folks where we can get those ideas and get some help if they need it. And indeed, the folks at Haskell's love to talk about wine. If you're going to cook something special, stop in and see us. We love to pair wine with the food, and we're good at that. So be very confident. You know, there's a Haskell's near you where you can save big dollars on wine. There's a Haskell's in Bloomington. There's one in Excelsior. Our Haskell's in Faribault is right off at 35. Our Maple Grove Supercellar is not to be missed. 20,000 square feet of vineyards of the world. There's a Haskell's at Ridgedale. In downtown Minneapolis, we have free parking on Saturday and Sunday. There's a Haskell's in Plymouth, St. Paul, and St. Paul's Highland Village. Stillwater, White Bear Lake, and Woodbury, too. And if you can't come into Haskell's, go to Haskell's.com. And don't forget, we do deliver, and we are Haskell's, the wine people. Excellent. Jack, let's talk again next week. You know, Denny, I'm going to look forward to that. Thank you very much. Jack Farrell from Haskell's.